This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Today, I am joined by Chris Ducker, who is the best-selling author of Youpreneur, amongst several other books. And what we're talking about with Chris today is how you can build a brand around you, how you can become a Youpreneur. Now, Chris is a veteran podcaster. He has been podcasting since the dawn of podcasting time. And we're going to be talking today about how that has helped him catapult his own personal brand. I hope you're going to love this show. And before we get started, introducing you to Chris, I just want to let you know that if you're struggling to get yourself out there, to put yourself out there to get visible, then right now my Confidence to Get Visible course is open. It's a four-week course full of video trainings and workbooks and some incredibly powerful hypnosis tracks that can help shift that feeling of imposter syndrome, help shift that feeling that you shouldn't be putting yourself out there because you're just a little bit scared. Because when you are able to put yourself out there to get visible, all the good stuff is on the other side, the increased impact, the increased influence, the increased connections, and the increased income. So if you want to find out more about that, head over to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash confidence. And now I'd love to introduce you to Chris Ducker. So ladies and gentlemen, today on the show, I've got Chris Ducker with me. Now, as I was just saying to Chris, Chris, in my mind, exists very strongly associated with a very long journey to Bristol because I had read Chris's book. I'd seen him on stage, which I'll talk to you about in a moment. And then I was consuming his podcast for about eight hours back to back while stuck on a very long motorway drive for, from his podcast, Youpreneur FM. So Chris, I'm really delighted to have you on the show today. It's good to, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm amazed that you, you're sort of not sick and tired of my voice and you actually want me to... <laughs> well, it took me a while until I reached out, to be honest. Just had to wait. But, but <laughs> people do that. a little bit first, right? Yeah, so, so people do that, right? And that's, that's an important thing because we're talking today predominantly about building the brand of you. Your right. book and your podcast are about the youpreneur. And that is one of the ways you build you build support, you build audience, you build followings because people can find you. Mm. I found you at someone else's event. I then stalked your book. I then stalked your podcast. And all of that stuff becomes really valuable content. It does indeed. And I think this is, you know, the, honestly, this is the only way, and I talk about it in the book, it's the only way to be able to truly future-proof yourself as an entrepreneur is to build a business based around you, but not necessarily entirely reliant on you, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's okay to have a team. It's okay to have people reply to your messages on your behalf. It's okay to do all those things. But if you're building a business based around you, your personality, the people you want to serve, your experience, your experiences, then that's about as unique as you can potentially get. And I'm all about leaning into that uniqueness as much as you can possibly do. Um, And I feel, I, I genuinely feel like I will never have to pivot again in my businesses ever. Even my brick and mortar businesses, because I own three different companies, even my brick and mortar businesses, which I have nothing to do with the running of day to day anymore at all. We still bring in fresh new business for those businesses 
on a regular basis because of my personal brand, because people mm. find me on YouTube or on the podcast or you know see me on stage or whatever it is. And it just so happens that these businesses can also serve them in a way that my coaching business and mastermind business can as well. So it's it's very, very interesting to see like, you know, 10 years now, I've been creating content online. Yeah. January 2010, I launched my first blog. April 2010, I published my first podcast episode. So and I've been a, very consistent since then. You're a massive early adopter of podcasting. So I now help people to get their podcasts out there and, and how to monetize it. But you were doing it while it wasn't even on an app, while it was still an RSS feed. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. As a podcaster, you know, you absolutely cack it. You know, God forbid your RSSV got broke or something happened with the developer. Was, oh my God, so many, so many issues back in the day. Now it's so much easier. The barrier of entry has become so low mm-hmm. when it comes to this sort of type of media. It's both a curse and a blessing. And I say that because it's a blessing because those who should be creating content on these platforms now can do it very, very easily without much thought at all about it, right? Other than just showing up with great content and value. It's a curse because that barrier is so low. Anybody and their dog is having a pop at it and there lies the issue. But I've seen it over and over and over again. You know, the people who should last, the people that should create, you know, great experiences for the people they want to serve, they'll stick around. They will stick around because they're doing exactly that. The people that, you know, are kind of just dipping their toe in the water, they'll soon, sooner enough, they'll, you know, crash and burn and, and move on their merry way. So, so there's loads of stuff you said in there. So first of all, it's about showing up, not just putting any old content out there because, oh my God, I've got a slot to fill and I've got to get content out there because it's easy. So I should. There's a lot of rubbish out there. There is a lot of rubbish. But there's also that thing about leading with value making sure that you are positioning yourself as the thing that you are good at as the person. So people know and understand what you're all about. And that's really important. You talked earlier about pivoting and that's something that I've experienced myself. And your business now is very much, you are the business, you are the brand. What led to you making that decision? You know, actually it was a little um, serendipitous to a certain degree. Um, I didn't plan on doing it. I launched my first business in 2004 and we built that business over the course of a few years. It was all at, at a point of 2008, 2009, we, I think we had just had our first seven-figure year. Um, we were at maybe about 120, 130 employees at the time. And um, it, 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 I became a slave to it. You know, I burnt out in late 2009. A lot of people know that story. Some of your audience probably have never heard of me before, so I'll tell it very... So is this your VA business? Is that yes, the one you're yes. talking about? Well, actually, this, the, the, we're talking about the big call center. So I own a okay. large call center of 350 plus employees. And that was what we had running at that point. The VA business, Virtual Starfinder, came out of that. Yeah. And it's still actually, it's a separate business entirely, but it's still housed in the same building. We've got three floors in the same building. Now that is actually the first first time I heard about your business. And that was because your your company was mentioned in, I believe, in the four-hour work week. Is that right? No, no, no it wasn't. No. I could have done with that. You could have done uh, with that, yeah. <laughs> could have done with that. But no, four-hour... So Tim's book came out, I think it was in 2000... I'm going to say 2000... 
2007, 2008, maybe. Uh-huh. I can't remember exactly when I got it. I think I read that book for the first time, maybe beginning, middle of 2009, something like that. But no, we weren't mentioned in the four-hour work week, but my first book, Virtual Freedom, yeah. came out of a blog post that I wrote in 2010 on my blog about virtual assistants because we were based in the Philippines. See, this and is so, interesting because because the content that you've put out there, you're very strongly associated in my mind with that book. Because- which actually is it's not the first time that's come up. Yeah. And I think what it is, is, is that Tim did an amazing thing for outsourced workers, particularly in developing countries like India, the Philippines, places like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't talk about anything other than India in the four-hour work week. And then I didn't pick up the mantle, so to speak. I'd already been talking about VAs for years. Yeah. I was in the Philippines. It was a cottage industry already over there. I've been in the Philippines since 2000. So I've been involved in the outsourcing business at that point, 2010, for already seven, eight years in one way, shape or form, whether I was helping the consultant set up companies or whether I was training individuals, whatever it was. And so it, it was nothing new to me, but to the world out there, it was like, whoa, what the heck is a VA? So I started blogging. I started talking about that amongst other bits and pieces. And the VA thing really started to like strike a chord with readers. And so I'll never forget, it was at the beginning of August, 2010, I did this post on VAs and it was like a whole bunch of stuff that you can delegate to a virtual assistant. And somebody in the comments, I'll never forget the guy's name. His name is Michael. He had a Johnny Bravo Gravatar image on his comment. That was back in, that was, this was back in the days when blogs had comment sections still, right? Um, and I'll never forget the guy because he was the, his comment launched Virtual Starfinder. Oh my God, what did he say? As a business. So <laughs> he basically he say? said, you know, this is great and everything, Chris. And I, I trust you because I uh-huh. follow you, but I've tried, I've dipped my toe in the VA water a few times and been burnt. Like if there was a company that could genuinely help me find the VA that I trusted, I'd pay for that any day of the week. Like sign me up. And literally two weeks later, we opened up Virtual Starfinder. I love, it. I love those light bulb moments that make you just go, ah, I've been missing a trick here and it's sitting right in front of me. Amazing. It went from that comment coming in one evening on the blog to the next day, mm-hmm. putting the process for finding VAs because we were on the ground over there. We knew that we had a hop and a skip on yeah. any potential competitors because we were already there with a facility, with hundreds of employees, et cetera, et cetera. And so it went from the comment coming in to the process being put together to we had like a two-page website. That's what we launched it with. And we had, I think, 17 orders in the first month. Amazing. And I mean, since then now we've we've helped well over probably the number now is going to be close to maybe 9,000 VAs. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I actually, we didn't meet at the time, but I saw you speak at Shah Wasman's event last year. Oh, and, cool. Okay. And uh, actually, I'm going to tell, I'll tell you, this is a slight diversion, but you know, as I said to you, we're having a conversation. Something you said actually really prompted me to self-publish my book because you were talking about the fact that actually for Rise of Youpreneur, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly the quote here, Chris, but you said that you had made the decision that actually as a business owner, you wanted to self-publish and explore self-publishing. And it was the fact because it, it potentially made sense as a business person rather than waiting for a traditional publisher to give you the green light and say, you know, you're good enough and we'll have you. And it really got me thinking and it made me decide. I just had a rejection from a publisher 
And I thought, what am I waiting for? And actually, I then self-published and decided I was going to manage the whole thing and it became a bestseller and I get all the profits. So thank you very much, Chris. You're more than welcome. So yeah, so that's... <laughs> but you, and I will you... <laughs> say, just to kind of maybe put a bow around that topic, Steve, my first book, Virtual Freedom, was traditionally published. Mm-hmm. I worked with an agent based over in New York. We put together a proposal and we sent that proposal out to 16 publishing houses in the United States. We had four offers for the book. Understand the topic was really, really hot, mainly because of Tim's first book. And we didn't take the offer with the biggest advance. We took the offer with the second largest advance, which was still a good amount of cash, but it it was probably about 60% what the highest one was. Mm. But the reason why I went with this particular publisher beyond anybody else that offered us anything was, I never forget when I spoke to him on the phone, he said to me, Chris, I see this being the outsourcing section of the four-hour work week on steroids. And I knew immediately that he got it. He totally got what the project was going to be about. And so, yeah, the only bad thing about it, though, being traditional, it took a year and a half to get the book to market, which was brutal. But it was, and I wrote it in a way that was evergreen. There wasn't anything Mm. super time sensitive or anything. But here we are now, six years after that book came out initially, and we are about to broach 100,000 copies of that book sold across all the different platforms, like ebook, Audible, yeah. you know, paper and all that stuff. I never would have thought we'd have sold 100,000 copies, Amazing. ever. But... And here we go. <laughs> self-published book, Rise of the Youpreneur, we're at about 30,000 copies of that book sold. Wow. And that's been in what, a year and a half, two years? Uh, two years. And I've made more money. Yeah. It's selling 30,000 copies of that book than I have done of almost 100,000 copies of Virtual Freedom because I own... Everything. You own it. You own it. And did you do an audio version? Did you mm-hmm. do an audio version of that? Mm-hmm. See, my audio version sells way more than any physical copy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and there's the even best. more money in it. Yeah, it's the, it's the best royalty-wise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do, an, uh, well, when I say I did, the publishers did an audio version of Virtual Freedom. What happened was I was, this is so brutal, this story I heard. Go on. I'm an audio book narrator by trade. So go on, tell me the horror story. Okay, so... <laughs> I was in the United States. I was on a six-week speaking tour of the United States to promote virtual freedom. Uh This is mid-2014. I think I started late July, ended up coming home probably first week, September, something like that, right? And I was all over. I can't even remember like, you know, the, the... the range of the travel, but it was like nine different speaking gigs in like eight different cities. I can't remember exactly what it was, but anyway, halfway through the tour, my publisher calls me and they're like, we need you to record an audio version. Distributors are asking for it. We're getting a lot of requests and we need you to do an audio version ASAP. And I said, well, okay, not a problem. You know, like I'm on this tour, as you well know, you're shipping books left, right, and center. You know, let me get home beginning of September, give me a couple of weeks, kind of just rest. I know a great studio because I used to front a, a soul and blues band mm-hmm. and uh, we used to play in the Philippines. So I, I got a great place. I got a beautiful sound set up, great board, everything. And, and I'll get in there for a, a day and a half or so and I'll record it. And they said, no, 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 we need to do it now. And I said, well, I physically don't have the time to get to a studio and in probably two sessions of five or six hours to read this. It's a lot of work. Not to mention, I'm there on a speaking tour. What happens mm-hmm. if I blow my voice out reading a damn book, right? 
So they said, well, we, we're going to do it anyway. And I was like, wait a minute, you can't do that. We can look at your contracts. <sighs> Total rookie author mistake. I'd oh, sign the rights over gosh. to them, right? People don't do that. Don't do not send your rights over. Uh, as an author, if you're an expert author, and this is my background, you want to make sure it's your voice on the book because totally. people want to hear you. But, you know, in my defense, this is 2014, yep. almost seven years ago now in terms of when I, you know, when I was signing the deal. In fact, over seven years when I signed mm-hmm. the deal. And I didn't know what I knew no. now back then. And so, you know, you kind of live and learn. And that was a big lesson. I also signed over all of my international rights to them as well, which they did nothing with for two years. And I, I got them to revert those rights back. So the book has come out in several languages since, and I've handled all that through. So you've got another audiobook narrator on your first book. It's Do you know, what I'm going to tell you is you might not know this, but coming from the audiobook background, it may well, that contract may well finish after seven years. Huh. Okay. So you might want to get on the on, and do some investigating on that end, Chris. Okay. Yeah. Well, particularly as the book is still selling. Yeah, it's absolutely. Still, it's still a seller. So, yeah, but they got some guy, they got some English guy to read the book. And I believe the guy was like an actor on like the TV show Charmed, like back in the okay. day, like a recurring character yeah. or something. But he, the way he narrated, it was so just not, it's not you. me. And yeah, I, I didn't enjoy that experience. In fact, I tell people, don't buy the audio one. Ah, <laughs> oh, like that, that's really buy the paperback or the Kindle. What's beautiful you know? about this, and we haven't even really talked about your pivot yet. But what we have come back to is you—the power of you getting your voice out there, your brand identity. What difference do you think this makes to people? Knowing, okay, so audiobook aside and whatever's happened there, what difference does it make if people feel like they know you? What does it make in terms of a difference to a business? Well, I think the first thing is that. I believe that people really, truly do want to do business with other people. You know, the the big brands will always want to do business with other big brands. And I don't think that will ever stop. The big brands want the consumer money as well, as and when they can get it. But as consumers, and I think particularly now with social media being as strong as it is from a buying decision kind of perspective, I, I just think that we want to do business with people that we know, that we mm-hmm. that we love, that we trust. And by the way, the no like trust thing, no like trust was a thing for years. It's out the window now. It's not enough to just like somebody. You've got to love them. So it's not love, trust. And I've been harping on that for years as well. So why do you think that's different? And why, why is it love because rather than like? somebody and loving somebody are two different ball games entirely, right? Like when you love somebody for what they do, you'll back them all the way. You'll buy their book. You'll buy their course. You'll share their stuff. You'll open every email they send. When you just like somebody, you might end up doing a lot of that, but the decision-making will be a lot longer. It won't be so instant in terms of that decision-making. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm gonna, oh, they're putting on an event. I'm going to go to the event, right? You have so to be there, yeah. First Youpreneur Summit in London. I've been running very high ticket events, four or five thousand dollar, you know, per tickets, very intimate events, so 50, 60, 70 people for many, many years up to that point. But we knew if we wanted 350 people, which is our max capacity at the Queen Elizabeth Center there in London, that we would have to go lower price point and obviously get more people through the door. Genuinely, I was worried. And I'm, I, I kid you not, Anna, I was genuinely... It's a big event. I was worried about not selling the event out and having egg on my face and all the rest of it. We went live on the website. We emailed our list and we sold 170 tickets in 48 
hours after that first email. Amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to sell this bloody thing out. This is crazy. And instinctively, I sent a copy and paste email to probably about, I'm going to say out of that 170, maybe 30 people or so. And I just said, appreciate you coming to London later in the year. It's going to be a lot of fun. I need to ask the question, what made you buy so quickly? You know, was it the landing page? Was it the cool video we got in it? Was it the price point? Like, you know, what is it that made you take action so quickly? And time after time, after time, after time, I got the same reply or thereabouts, which was basically along the lines of, Chris, I trust you, man. Like, I know that you're going to show up for us like you want us to show up for you. It was a no-brainer. You're, we love what you do. It was, it's a no-brainer. And it happened. We had the same stuff over and over and over again. So there you go. So those 30 people you sent to, mm. what level of relationship were you aware of having with them at that point? Yeah, that's a good question. Some of them I had, at that point, had interactions with in some capacity. Are we talking interactions on social media? Are we talking yeah. how you'd met them? Some, you- some I had met in person. Mm-hmm. Some was purely via social media. Some I'd never talked to in any way, shape or form yeah. before, but they were on our email list. So obviously yes. they, were, they were engaged with what we were doing. None of them were cold. That was the big thing mm-hmm. because we, we, we didn't spend any money at all on advertising for that first event until probably about two months before the event was about to take place. We had been sold out since August, but then between, you know, you get the the inevitable, oh, my plans have changed. I can't make it, this, that, and the other. We had about 20 or so people back out and that two or three months between August and November. And so all we did is we just ran some retargeting campaigns on Facebook for people who had visited the landing page and we were able to sell those 20 odd tickets like that very easily. I didn't realize that that event was relatively new. It's three years old, three and a bit years now. But I know people who consider it to be the best entrepreneur event in the UK. And I've had people, and you wouldn't know this, who've actually rung me to say, Anna, you have to get a ticket. And Anna, I know that there is, you know, there's early bird tickets, you have to do it. And that's the power of building something where people feel connected because they want to tell their friends. They want to help and support other people. Now, I'm going to say, Chris, it's always dangerously close to my birthday weekend and my birthday week. So that doesn't necessarily work for me as a week at the moment. But, you know, you've got time to change that if you're going to have one in 2020. (laughs) Um, But I, I know that your event, because of what I know about you, about your book, your podcast, all of those pieces of the puzzle are the how other people consider your reputation, which is all about you. Mm. Youpreneur, I know that your event is very much on my radar. It just has to be the right weekend, and that's the that's the power of what we're talking about here. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me that people do reach out to you about it. I mean, you know, at the risk of sounding maybe a little cocky oh, it, about it. it all, it doesn't surprise me because you know we have a sixty percent return rate year on year with our attendees. We sell out the next year's event sixty percent at this year's event because we do a special offer for anybody by midnight, the day of the last day of the event, we say, lock yourself in at a discounted price. And, and it will never be as low as that ever. 60% of that audience buys their ticket for the next year, right there and then. 60%. You know, you've done a great job as well. You know, you've had a great event when that happens. We can see it when people come to the registration booth at the beginning of the event. We can see it. We have these things where we have the badge and then we have these little ribbons where it says, First Summit 
second summit, third summit. So we can see our returnee attendees as well. You celebrate that. But how many times we've seen people walk into the center together, come up to the desk together and said, this is Rebecca, my friend. It's her first summit. I told her to come. And so we, we know that people spread the word. We know we don't have to do a lot of quote unquote marketing for it. But I believe it, you know, it's like anything else in the sales process, right? Like the sales process hasn't changed for a gazillion years, right? It's, it's prospect, qualify, gain trust, pitch, overcome objection, pitch, overcome objection, close. Now, here's the thing. If you've done all the things up to that point correctly with passion, with sincerity, with transparency, and authenticity attached to it all, and people know what they're getting and you're not conning them, the close is not something that you should have to worry about. They'll already have their mind made up. And that's why you don't have to sell something or sell something to someone if you've done all those things right. Because you're selling your personal brand. You're selling you. I don't close anyone. I present the offer. I overcome their objections nine times out of 10 before they even bring them up in our sales copy. And they will either buy or they will not buy. I don't feel like I've got to try and close them. So one of the things I want to touch on, because I think it's an important part of your story, is that you with your your VA company, you were reaching burnout. Yes. What was it about that? I've, I've suffered burnout myself as well. And it's terrible because you feel like you just can't do anything and you think it's never going to end. What was it about that period that made you realize that you needed to change? And how did the penny drop about what you needed to change? I mean, the penny dropped when I couldn't get out of bed, literally. That that was uh, uh, mid-December. Yeah, mid-December 2009. And, you know, we were doing well business-wise at that point, but I was a wreck. You know, I was working 16-hour mm-hmm. days, too much coffee, shitty diet. I genuinely couldn't get out of bed. And then mm-hmm. my wife called our company doctor who came over to the house and looked over and said, you know what, you're... Uh, you kind of messed up. I want to get you to the hospital and run some tests. And we ran some tests and it was acute dehydration, acute exhaustion, and mild depression. And so I was in the hospital for about a, a week or so on an IV wow. for liquids and all that sort of stuff. Came out, uh, we had Christmas. And then in between Christmas and New Year's, we went away for a couple of days, just my wife and I, to a resort close by in the Philippines. And that was where the whole 2010 virtual CEO goal come into play. And in a nutshell, it was me taking myself out of the business as much as possible by the end of the 2010, by all means necessary. And so by the end of that year, we'd hired eight people to replace me day to day. That's how many hats I was wearing. Mm -hmm. And I had blogged about it. I had podcasted about it all throughout the year of 2010. The email list grew, you know, the interest in the work grew. And it really, I think the biggest takeaway for me realization for me through all of that was that there's only one me. On one hand, that's good. Mm -hmm. On another hand, from a husband perspective, from a father perspective, I've got four kids. That ain't so good if I'm going to run myself into the floor like that. And so we made really, really, really solid plans for that to never, ever happen again. And I'll be frank, I'm not going to lie. I have been close to it a couple Mm -hmm. of other times since Virtual freedom was one of them for sure. And the first summit, quite frankly, you know, yeah, there was it's a lot of work. Me, even though we sold out months in advance and I knew that we had a major, I mean, it's the Queen Elizabeth Centre right opposite Westminster Abbey. There is no better venue in London for a live event. It was built for this very thing, right? 
And yet here I am like just micromanaging the entire thing up to about two weeks before the event. And my wife turned around and she said to me, you're going to be you're going to be done by the time this is over unless you start delegating stuff. And so, you know, re- relinquished a ton of stuff because I was so close to it. I didn't yes. want to let anyone down. But that's because you're passionate capacity. about it as well. Yeah, but there's passion and then there's stupidity. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and looking back on it, you know, there was, there's a lot of stuff that we, we didn't, I, I, I was involved with, I shouldn't be involved with. Now with the event every year, all I focus on is curating our speakers, putting together my own content, and the playlist for the music. They're the only three things that I do and I will not relinquish you are any of them. Well, so there's, there's something playlist here is important. <laughs> <laughs> there's something here that I think is quite interesting to, to discuss is that when we're talking about creating a brand of you and then we're talking about making sure you're not at the centre of things, are they two conflicting messages? They can be, unless you're very clear with what you're doing and understand just because it might start off with you being at the very center of things it doesn't mean it needs to be like Mm -hmm. that forever like you can even pivot on that it doesn't mean you have to change your entire business model but you can very clearly say this is the way it's been but i'm making some changes to be able to serve you better that kind of thing right and so you know when the word youpreneur comes up when that brand name is discussed it's always Chris Ducker's brand or Chris mm-hmm. Ducker's company. And I'm fine with that. And yes, I'm the face of that business. I mean, I'm on the freaking cover of the book, right? So are. it is what it is. So the self-published book. The self-published book, right. <laughs> so understanding you know, I'm the host of the event. I'm obviously clearly our main mentor and coach in our mastermind yeah. programs. And I host a podcast. So yeah, it's it it's a brand name, but it's attached to my personal brand. And we're absolutely fine with that because people know once they get involved with us, whether it's in our Youpreneur Academy, which is our low price monthly membership program, or right the way up to our elite mastermind, which is, you know, several thousands of dollars every month. It doesn't matter what area you're at, you know, live event, whatever it is, you know that Youpreneur is more than Chris. Like, there's no way I could do all that without a team of people. And so you, yes, you'll, 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 converse with me or communicate with me in one way, shape or form, but you'll also hear from a number of different people attached to that brand as well. So again, based on you, but not reliant on you entirely day to day. That's the plan. Which is key because I think if you're going to serve many people, you cannot do it all alone. You need that support. You need managers, you need VAs, you need assistants. So in terms then of of your podcast, so a lot of the thing we're focusing on in Entrepreneurs Get Visible in this series is the power of podcasting. You are a veteran. You are even more veteran than many of the podcasting veterans. So what has having a podcast done for you, Chris? Oh my gosh. That's so much. I, I mean, it's that's another entire show right there. I mean, it's 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 opened up so many doors of opportunity for me. I, I can't even list them all down. I mean, I have met some of my closest friends mm-hmm. in through podcasting, um, allow me to get a little personal to begin with rather than just business, right? Yeah. I have met business partners, you know, companies that I now invest in and advise. I'm on their board of advisors. I have clearly sold out, you know, one event after another, after another, after another. I've lost, we started doing events in 2011, so nine years um, I have clearly impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world over that time. Uh, we're 
I think we're we're zooming in on about I think I think we're zooming in on seven million downloads of the show now. Amazing, um, which is crazy. I, we celebrated six million a while ago, but we're getting pretty close to seven million now. And I think just overall, it's made business easier because of that barrier of 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 being able to. And here's the thing: now with that, or with a YouTube channel, or whatever it is, you can build that trust. You can gain that trust from your prospects without ever even talking to them directly. Whilst they're in the car, stuck in traffic, driving to Birmingham. Oh, no, it was Bristol, driving to Bristol. Bristol. (laughs) Bristol. They both begin with a B. Any city that begins with B, you're in. It's it's just Chris. Chris is in the car with me. So, listen, thank you for coming on today. And I've really enjoyed having a chat all around the houses to do with building a personal brand and why that matters. And I've read your book. I've I've not read the first one. Um, and I'm not going to listen to that audio, but that. Um, I have nobody read. Nobody wants to do that. Trust I me. I have read um, Rise of, of the Youpreneur, and I think it's a it's a good read. I read it quickly, which is always for me is a sign that this book makes sense. I just want to get through it, have that sure. information in my head, move forward. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Chris. And uh, I will be doing my best to make sure if your dates for Youpreneur aren't near my birthday, to get myself a ticket and actually attend. <laughs> well, I very much appreciate that. I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, take care. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.